0: Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is Teddy Kupfer, an associate editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today are Ollie Wiseman and Alex Perez. Ollie is a freelance writer and reporter living in Washington, D.C., and Alex is a writer and graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop. Both of them have written for City Journal before. And today we're going to talk about Miami, where Alex lives and where Oliver went to write a story for our new print issue, which is out now. Oliver and Alex, thank you very much for joining me. Good to be here. So I haven't been to Miami in a while, but I have to say I'm jealous of you both for being lucky enough to have spent some time there. Not only is it obviously a gorgeous place with great weather, food, and architecture, but it's a fascinating city whose political, cultural, and business climate have been the subject of much national commentary, especially since the pandemic. I mentioned Oliver's story in our print issue, and that was actually part of a two-article feature with the other by Daniel Tenrero. So let me begin with a general question. Why do you think Miami is getting so much attention these days?
1: Uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll jump in on that one, um, Teddy. And I, I think um, for a couple of reasons, um, Miami has really captured the kind of national imagination um, over, the, over, the, over the pandemic. And I think the biggest reason is, is the pandemic because um, the city's become this kind of avatar for, a kind of alternative to uh, sort of um, well, I should say Florida has become the the avatar for the sort of alternative to um, you know kind of blue state, blue city um, uh, kind of lockdown heavy approach to the pandemic, and Miami is the sort of most kind of culturally salient city in in Florida. So I guess part of it is that um, the thing I um, went to, to uh, report on for um, for you guys though was really um, a little more focused on. The uh, electoral politics in the in and around the city, where um, you know, basically, Florida has gone from a, a a swing state to a kind of something approaching a red state, or sort of taking on a reddish hue, um, and that's really because of massive swings towards the Republican Party in 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 Miami and in and around Miami, um, which is this bulwark against um, Democratic um, kind of gains in the state, um, which I think is is, is very interesting and touches on this um, broader theme that is of real, um, you know, of real national um, importance, which is the question of uh, Hispanic voters and, and why they are not necessarily kind of acting in the way that uh, many Democrats, um, especially predicted um, or, or, or hope, hoped and predicted and assumed, I guess, that, that they would.
0: So, Alex, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious your reaction to that as somebody who lives in Miami uh, and experienced the pandemic from the city, I assume. Uh, you know what has it been like, and then also as somebody who's in tune, I think it's fair to say with the Hispanic community down there, why do you think uh, this has been the political trend?
2: Yeah, we had about an early pandemic, about a month, uh, March, April that we actually shut down, and then after that, uh, Miami uh, kind of opened up, and and it wasn't because of any political reasons that any kind of resistance, you know, to lockdowns. It's just because the city probably couldn't sustain itself, like with the. Lockdown. Locals were just going to go out and have fun and party and do the Miami thing. So I think initially the big draw was that from the Blue State kind of lockdown people that they came to Miami and Florida only because it was here. But it wasn't, uh, I think early on, especially there wasn't some kind of political uh, angle to it. Now that we're about a couple years in, I'd be very curious to see how it plays because I have so many friends prior to the pandemic that moved to Miami 20s and 30s. And they were here for a couple of years. And then after, after time elapsed, it was a question of, okay, this little honeymoon is over and it stopped being a paradise. And now Miami is a city. So I'm very curious to see if they can deal with the actual kind of nuts and bolts of the city now that they're here longer. So I think that was the initial draw was, yeah, yeah. Miami was open. Folks got a taste for that kind of tropical kind of Hispanic thing that Miami has, but now we're heading into, I think, this time period now, which a couple of years, some folks have been in town for a year. So I'm very curious to see if they can actually deal with the real, you know, kind of Miami that I think now is starting to actually, you know, probably show itself.
0: Can you describe that a little bit? I mean, what is the, the real Miami that that these people are now beginning to experience?
2: I think a lot of uh, in the early pandemic it was just a you know, Miami's open, so they were able to escape, you know, you know, lockdown cities and states. But now that Kind of the rest of the countries opening up is already open. I think now, prior they were comparing Miami to their lockdown states. Now that everything is kind of open, I think I think now they're going to encounter things that maybe early on they thought was cute, whether kind of all the Spanish or kind of the little kind of some of the bad service you get at restaurants. These little kind of you know kind of uh, tropical things that are kind of cute at first, and now that that kind of honeymoon period is over, they will start to encounter. The actual miami and so many of the folks that are in town came initially we're living in kind of brickle and downtown in the gables some of these spots around town that you're kind of in your little you know kind of little world that you don't really encounter you know so much of the blue collar stuff but i think once i spent more time in miami and they encroach encroaching those blue collar areas that is kind of already happening i think that's the main question can can they deal with it and when i talk to regular locals who don't you know who don't uh really know too much what's happening like if I ask them basically do you think they're going to stay it's always no they can't deal with Miami and I'm not I'm not sure if they're right but I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning toward that so to me it's a question are they going to stay long enough to actually transform Miami and push out some of the locals or is Miami going to push them out before that can happen and I think we're going to get to that juncture here pretty soon if we're not kind of there already
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, so I mean, as I see it, Miami is a sort of contrarian place. And what I mean by that is it's a major driver of three important trends that seem to fly in the face of conventional wisdom about the future of the United States. You know, first, obviously, is the city's political trajectory. Um, You know, as Hispanics in Miami pulled the lever for Republicans, Florida, Ali, as you put it in your article, is, quote, growing less white and more conservative. And that challenges the sort of emerging democratic maturity thesis, according to which the diversification of America would deliver enduring electoral advantages for Democrats. The second trend, I think, is the city's business scene. And so, you know, led by Mayor Francis Suarez and a group of exiles from New York and the Bay Area who came down in 2020 and 2021, Miami is seeking to become a hub, you know, self-consciously trying to draw and attract The innovative and disruptive businesses over which those areas currently have a duopoly, whether it's tech, finance, some combination of the two. And then the third trend, I think, is the city's attitude toward freedom. You know, we live in a society where, um, you know, Americans are asked to submit to the dictates of the public health bureaucracy. But, you know, Alex, as you mentioned, you know, besides March and April, really haven't seen mask mandates or significant lockdowns. And while Florida does depend, of course, in large part on government provision of health care, it's also an exceptionally free state in terms of, you know, taxes, regulations, gun rights, these sorts of things. You know, so I wonder, as I look at these three trends, uh, if you think they're related, does Miami represent a counterweight to a society that's grown decreasingly tolerant of risk, whether you define risk as voting Republican or starting a cryptocurrency business or going clubbing during a pandemic? And if that's the case, you know what are the cultural roots of this swashbuckling, risk-friendly spirit?
2: I think if you were a young person you know, back in the you know heyday of America, you would go west. It was, you know, go west, young man. And we've kind of, obviously, even prior to the pandemic, we've kind of uh, even lost that vibe or feeling. You have a lot of young people that are kind of just really regimented and really, you know, follow orders. But the pandemic, I think, kind of shook everything up so much that it kind of, they kind of wake up some of this "go west, young man" thing in some people, but obviously you can't go west anymore, uh, even prior to the pandemic. So I think uh, Miami kind of, you know, kind of became that spot, and the mayor uh, kind of realized this, and he started to come here. And I think the main reason is that uh, there isn't any uh, concept of woke or heterodox or any of these things. When I read about Miami, you kind of have to use those words because people, you know, no. What those words mean, but there isn't any concept of that here. So if you're a young person trying to escape those ideas and you go to other major cities, you still will encounter those concepts. In Miami, it's very, very hard to find somebody who knows what that is. like Unless there are small little sect like of people who are, you know, kind of the indie bookstores, that kind of thing. That's a very small group of people. So I think if you really want to escape that kind of, uh, you know, kind of woke, kind of thing that's been happening you come to a place where it isn't even a factor like it, it's very hard to go to like a working class bar restaurant in Miami and even you know speak English sometimes so you're not going to encounter that and I think that was the big I mean one of the major draws and obviously that aligns with the tech scene as well that they want that kind of freedom to kind of operate kind of on the fringes on the margins and Miami is kind of known as a place where if you want you can kind of find you can kind of walk that thread with legality and a illegality. So I think you know both of these factors It just, it's perfect timing as well. So we have, we have all these people who kind of, they want a space where they can operate in this kind of, in this kind of non-American way, but still be part of the American,
1: uh, American mainland. I think there's a, I think there's a couple of things in there that, that are interesting. Um, on the, um, you know that you talk about uh, sort of wokeness alex i mean the, the title of my piece for the city journal uh was i think was the which was a quote from someone i spoke to about the city um was the least woke city in america and and obviously that's you know that might seem surprising uh, uh, you know according to a certain set of assumptions about about wokeness that that might seem surprising given how diverse um miami is but of course it's exactly as 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 you know alex it's it's exactly because of miami's diversity that it's that it's so unwoke right and um I think one of the really powerful things Miami has become, uh, or, or, or and actually maybe this is kind of underdeveloped in, in in the national imagination about the city, is this way in which um, you know when somewhere is that diverse and and has that many different um, uh, communities with and and, and uh, with, with 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 different national backgrounds, not not necessarily race, racially, you know, race isn't really the issue here. It's it's, it's country of origin, right? Um, it it's just this really powerful counter example to the, to the kind of default um, left view, which is basically that the world is un- best understood as a kind of coalition of, um, of kind of non-white, uh, non-male, uh, non-straight people uh, against the sort of um, this monolithic sort of white, whiteness. Um, and in Miami, the, these kind of, uh, there's just such diversity that that just seems kind of nonsensical. It just seems like an unrealistic and, and kind of, strange way to to view the world um and on on, to bring that back to kind of more kind of everyday retail politics uh you know i spoke to a lot of the um kind of republican activists in and around the city um and you know there's there's a tendency when you when you talk about um different demographic groups in politics there's a tendency to talk about um You know, you go to a panel discussion in in D.C. about Hispanic voters, for example, and everyone on the panel will say the first thing you need to understand is that, you know, these voters are not a monolith. There's a there's a range of views here. Um, And then they proceed to talk about groups, the group as a monolith and and talk about a a block of voters with the same set of priorities. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think that sort of on a retail politics level has been very effective down here is um, is. It is that understanding that, you know, different, different groups have different, have different priorities, everyone is treated as an individual and as, and as an American citizen um, by Republican activists, but also there's a sensitivity to the specific kind of national and, and, and community level kind of concerns, which are, you know, rather than on the Democratic side, kind of big assumptions about what people of color would think about a given issue. Um, so I think that's an important aspect of the kind of political dynamic uh, in the city and, and why there's been some, you know, in, in better performance for the Republican Party.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm curious what you guys think creates this distance between Miami and the rest of the U.S. You know, is it the city's different cultural memory? Of course, for the population of Cuban Americans who came in the 20th century, revolution and communism aren't distant relics of the past, uh, but things that have happened. Um, you know, relatively recently, is it the geography? You know, being tropical, it's a place where spending your time having fun isn't frowned upon, and maybe that um, you know puts a damper on the sort of careerism that you see in other Eastern Seaboard cities. How much of a role do these factors play in the city's uh, unique character?
2: A really good way I think to describe Miami is: uh, there's a massive hurricane coming. Uh, there's a massive storm coming in. I can leave the coast of Africa and you know it's coming, you know, probably to Miami because there's times where, you know, a storm is coming and you watch it, you know, days pass or week passes and it's getting closer and everybody will tell you, oh, no, no, don't worry. It's not coming. It's not coming. Then you see, you know, the map and the storms, this massive storm. It's at the top of Miami. And then at the possible last second, people will start, you know, to, you know finally kind of prepare for the storm. And even when it's, you know, and still when it's about to hit us, everybody says, oh, don't worry, it's not going to hit us. And thankfully, most of the time it doesn't hit us. But I think that kind of ethos is is, is probably the actual ethos of the entire city, that uh, we kind of have, have our own little world, and even like natural forces are not gonna you know, knock us off the orbit. Miami's it's so kind of insular in and of itself that even just like a hurricane will not knock us off the orbit. If you ask a local, are you from Florida? say no i'm from miami i think it comes from that this with this little tiny kind of you know place here the tip of the country that's kind of its own little world and uh when you mix all these people and you put them together it's really hard to flatten or create some kind of flattened place and i think so much of modern politics or ideology is about creating this flattened kind of place or view of things so we can just kind of understand them here in miami it's impossible to create this flat in place because it's just so many different people. And even like, you know, Cubans are all different from, you know, you have Cubans that came early in the sixties, others that came recently and like those people even, you know, kind of fight sometimes it's really impossible to create this flat and kind of locale here. I think it just can't happen. And I think that's
1: the main reason why you have this kind of attitude. I think it's also worth, I mean, we sort of, I guess we've kind of boxed around this a little bit, but one issue here too is, you know, Miami's, um, the way we, we're the way we're talking and thinking about Miami is also, you know, partly a reflection of, of 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 how the rest of the country has changed as well as as well as what's happening in Miami, right? Because um, you know the interesting kind of paradox, and Alex has has you know explained some of this to me. I spoke to him for my piece and has written about it as well, and chimed with other conversations I had. But you know, the the joke about Miami was that it was like a foreign country, foreign city rather, even though it was in in America, and and yet somehow. Um, you know the the changes in the rest of the country have conspired to make miami feel more american than than america um as it were and um you know i i think you you, you really feel that here i mean you feel and, and you you feel there's a sort of the, the, it's the combination of that um that kind of dynamism that we see with some of the um economic developments and business developments in the city and also i would i would add to that a kind of um I would say kind of unapologetic and unabashed kind of patriotism um and confidence in in, in the american dream and and so on that that, that is you know um it, it is really a, a a flavor that you can't not taste uh, when you're in the city um and i i think on that note too there's actually an interesting contrast to 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 draw with kind of other um you know the hispanic republican voter in in Miami feels very different to the sort of you know he's still wearing the same red cap, shall we say, but feels very different to a kind of rust belt kind of Trump voter which which we think of as a sort of left behind um, victim of globalization who um, you know is disillusioned with the American dream and I think there's an interesting kind of you know you could broaden it out a bit there's an interesting kind of sun Belt versus rust belt kind of modes of conservatism. Um, and I think Miami and Florida generally are kind of are the best example of of, of, of the the Sunbelt kind of version of that, if you see what I mean.
0: That's fascinating. So Ali, we'll get to that. Um, but first you know Alex, I want to know a little bit more about the cultural geography of the city uh, as an outsider. It's obviously a very ethnically diverse place. You know, to me, the Cuban presence seems to render our national obsession with black, white divides almost irrelevant. Uh, Miami also has an evolving economy with plenty of service and healthcare workers. You mentioned this blue collar uh, orbit, but it also has a burgeoning circle of fintech entrepreneurs, people who are um, you know operating in the web 3.0 space, that sort of thing. There are retirees, there are also people who go clubbing several nights a week. And as you've noted on Twitter before, there is also an art scene whose politics would sometimes seem more at home in Manhattan or Seattle, uh, one of these deeper blue cities where educational credentials still carry lots of cachet. So with all of these contrasts, how can a city like Miami develop a coherent spirit? Or do you think it's this multiplicity, this interaction among all these different groups that helps define Miami?
2: Yeah, I think right now that's the question. Can Miami even come together and cohere? And and also, if it coheres, would it lose that Miami thing that makes it Miami? And I think now... I think for the first time, we're starting to see some of those outside groups that came into town in the pandemic crash up against more of the locals. So that's, I mean, because now, recently, in the last few months, rents have been shooting up, not just in cool parts of town, but now, you know, now also out west Miami. So the locals, like if I would have asked the locals seven, eight months ago, do you think they're going to stay or do you care about them? They're like, no, they're going to leave. They're not bothering us. But now that they're starting to encroach and the rents are going up in parts of town that aren't really, Consider, you know, the hipper parts of Miami. Now it's the first time that I'm seeing that there is going to be some kind of battle for the soul of the city. And if it ever coheres, it'll be because there will be some kind of takeover from this outside money that was able to lay roots and plant down uh, roots here in the city and then actually grow. So if that happens, it becomes a question. Is that is that good for Miami? Is that good for locals? And I'm, I'm not sure it is, but I'm not sure that they can actually do that. Go back to my first point. Can they actually do that? But it seems like some people are going to be here for the long term, so they might be able to actually give it that coherent identity that Miami's kind of you know it's kind of been fighting against. So, but if they give it the identity is that good? I don't know. Hialeah is a part of a town that's heavily really Cuban, heavily blue collar and it, if you go to Hialeah there's no basically no English, nothing. You're basically kind of in, you're kind of a Almost in Cuba, and recently this new development is coming into Hialeah. This new luxury apartment, and the rents are going to start at two thousand dollars in a neighborhood where they go for eight fifty prior to the pandemic. And that was the first time I think that locals really actually woke up to what's happening. Prior to that, it was in Brickell, it was in downtown, some of the parts of Miami that people who have had money always go to. So it was kind of understood, okay, they're going to stay there. They're not going to come into the parts of the city that are kind of you know ours, but that. That has stopped happening very recently. So the Hialeas, and now people are actually, now like I'll talk to buddies of mine who are having to move because they had to pay you know, two grand for an apartment. Now it's going to four grand all of a sudden. So now it's going to be a battle, I think here in the next year. And are they going to stay? I think more are going to stay than I thought earlier on. Like I could have sworn that by now we'd be seeing some of the outsiders leave. But now they're actually planting roots and they're going to you know, try to make it happen in Miami. And that's good in a sense, because I think the city uh, can use some of that new energy. But it's obviously going to be you know, hurtful for people who've been in town for a very long time. They're going to be pushed out of their neighborhoods. And I never thought that would happen in Miami. Or if it did, it would have happened you know, 20 years from now. But the pandemic obviously just accelerated so much. And I think we're probably here this summer. We're going to reach a point where we're going to see kind of the city is going to kind of be pushed one way. So it
1: might cohere for the first time in a very long time. I, I If I could just add something to that, which is when I was doing the reporting for this piece, I went back and uh, read um, some of the newspaper clips from when um, first waves of Cuban um, uh, refugees uh, came over, and I guess about half a century ago now. Um, and um, You know, it's very funny to go and read, and it's an interesting reminder of like how the city has changed and continues to change, because you basically have these these reports of uh, from I think the New York Times saying, you know, could you imagine anything weirder than than Cuban uh, refugees from communism pitching up in Miami, this playground of of kings? Like, what a strange what a strange thought. Um, And of course, now that's just what we think of when we think of Miami. So, you know, it's sort of the Miami we know. And sort of talk about talking about now is, is, is pretty young, uh, and so it's, it'll be like as Alex says, it's a very open question, sort of where where the city goes next. I think it's funny because my dad came from Cuba.
2: I think let me see, uh, seventy. So he talks about Miami, which is seventy, not very long ago. But he talks of those days like it was some like golden age of silence and peace, and that wasn't so long ago. So yeah, Miami has been this. It's been very very fast. So probably what's happening now. It's still like part. It's still part one, I guess. I guess at the beginning of that Miami. But if you talk to my dad, yeah, he'd tell you, yeah, it was just like you could just bike around. There was nobody here. There was still you know all the white people. It was quiet. He loved it. And then he kind of saw, and now he's amazed by what's happening now because it's happening so fast. But it is still pretty, you know, early, you know, here in Miami, Miami's history. So maybe this is the way. That's like the natural end of that moment. Is this what's happening now?
0: So, Ali, you became deeply familiar with the city's recent political trajectory while reporting your story. Not only did Donald Trump double his vote count in Miami-Dade County between 2016 and 2020, but the city seems to be at the vanguard of a national trend in which the Hispanic vote, as you mentioned, is increasingly up for grabs. This is obviously a hugely consequential story as far as American elections are concerned, but I wonder what else it says about the future of urban politics in America. In certain senses, Miami is a special case. It has a weak mayor council system, so Suarez's power is circumscribed. The city encompasses an unusually small portion of the broader metro area. But Miami has managed the vanishingly rare feat of being a major city with cultural cachet that is also politically competitive. So what lessons does Miami hold for the country's political future? both national politics, but also for Americans who have been failed by urban misgovernance in blue cities?
1: So I think there's a couple of things to say. Firstly, it's I think it's important to remember in our in our conversation, um, if we haven't explicitly pointed it out yet, that, you know, uh, Miami-Dade, for example, is not is still still votes, you know, still voted for Joe Biden. So it's not you know, we're not talking about a red well, it's not a red city. So we should, but 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 the point is it is a lot redder than most cities, right? Which are uh our deepest blue. Um so just important to kind of add that caveat to sort of before we get too carried away with um kind of republicanism in big cities. Um uh, I think one of the interesting things about Miami, um I'll sort of observe the dynamic here in the city and then kind of compare it to the rest of the country. But one interesting thing is somehow here the, the and maybe Alex has some thoughts on this it seems to be a way in which there's a big republican family in 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 the city um uh suarez is at the kind of moderate um um end of the spectrum and then there's a there's a sort of far more conservative end of the spectrum too and again to go back to that kind of sunbelt you know sort of florida versus ohio or something kind of comparison it's, for whatever reason the 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 family rows within the republican party down here just don't seem to be as as bad blooded and kind of winner take all as the family rows um, in, like say the Rust Belt, uh, and I've, I've I think that's partly because the, these parties are built around um, kind of community ties and things more here um, rather than just straight a kind of straight battle of kind of socioeconomic economic interests. Um, but that's I think an important factor. That sort of that's I don't think I got to the bottom of that mystery in my in my piece, but I think that's kind of a an interesting dynamic here. Um, uh, and then the, the the broader thing to say about um, about the kind of lessons for the rest of the sort of urban politics nationwide is, you know, obviously the, the kind of complacent Democrat might look at Miami and basically just say, yeah, the you know, the Cubans, whatever, you know, the, the, they have their hang ups about the Bay of Pigs invasion and communism. And, and so, yeah, Florida is going to be tough for us. Um, but. You know, I think one of the lessons, and this goes back to my point about not treating um, Hispanic voters or any voters really as these 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 homogenous blocks, and and make and make and make kind of woke assumptions about kind of voters of color. You know, is the the, the point is every every community has their hangups. Every 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 kind of subsect of Americans, however you, however you want to you know however you slice you know slice and dice the kind of the kind of population has 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 the same sort of stuff that Cuba has, uh, Cubans have about, um, about their country's history. So, you know, I think that if the lesson Republicans can take from somewhere like Miami is to actually firstly take these, you know, take, take cities seriously, treat them like they're places where they can pick up some votes and that they can, um, you know, they can, if they can provide a sharp contrast with a democratic party that, like I keep saying, goes to this kind of default setting of kind of people of color, coalitions of people of color. We all have we all have the same interests at heart, and kind of can speak to people in a in a far more realistic and kind of down to earth way. Then, you know, I I, I think I, I don't think it's I don't think it's you know I think it's a very risky move put it that way for for, for Democrats to just think cities are always going to be blue. I also think that
2: so much of the reason that the hispanics and cubans there is a shift that everybody's talking about i think so much of it has to do strictly because of the failures of the democratic party nothing that republicans have done so i'd be curious if the right can kind of you know they've kind of fallen into this rightward shift but they haven't done very much so i'd be very curious to see if they actually know how to deal with this rightward shift that's you know kind of fallen into their you know fallen into their lap but so much of it is based on this kind of resistance that the Hispanics and the Cubans have done here to this kind of really, this this kind of identity politics, this wokeness that they might not know was around two years ago. Then once they caught a whiff of it, it was just a massive rejection, but that's nothing the right has done. The right has just seen this shift happen. But I think now, a year from now, two years from now, i will be very curious to see how they actually uh, talk to Hispanics now that they're kind of ascendant with Hispanics. I'm not sure how they're gonna navigate it. And I think Trump in his way was good That way, because it wasn't some kind of corny, you know, trying to speak in Spanish, trying to dance like you know Biden does. So, but I'm not sure they can actually navigate now that
1: they're kind of, you know, kind of getting these voters. That's the open question I have as well. Well, Will they be able to do that? If I could just come back on that, I mean, I think it's definitely true. There's a risk of Republicans getting kind of over-interpreting what's already happened and 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 seeing this as a kind of done deal rather than than an opportunity. I think you can easily lose sight of the headline numbers, which and it's not like every every hispanic american is a republican all of a sudden um but also on on the point about i agree with you nationally about this is this is a reaction to democratic politics but i think miami there is the exception because i think in miami the big difference in miami and other big sort of comparable cities in america is miami is somehow that because of its history had a a a republican establishment in the city that had not been completely hollowed out in the way that you know, in many ways, New York Republican Party mecha- um, kind of infrastructure has been hollowed out. Uh, L.A. Something similar has happened. Uh, other other big cities. So, in that sense, Miami is the exception because the cities, the party activists in the city, could could kind of maximize that opportunity in a way that I think we did see in um, in the results uh, in the last election.
0: Well, struggling to capitalize on the gains made in opposition has been one of the enduring problems of American conservatism. Um, So on that note, uh, thank you very much, Ali and Alex, for joining me. Listeners, don't forget to check out Ali and Alex's work on the City Journal website. We will link to their author pages in the description. Uh, You can also find City Journal on Twitter at City Journal and on Instagram at City Journal underscore MI. Alex and Ali are both on Twitter as well. We will link to those too. And as always, if you like what you heard on the podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Alex and Ali, thank you very much for joining me.